Hello, and welcome to episode number one of my podcast, Mental Health Without the Bullshit. I wanted to start off by introducing myself, give a little background as far as who I am, my clinical experience, and why I'm starting a podcast. So let's begin. My name is James Marugo. I am a first-generation Colombian-American. My parents immigrated over 50 years ago, and I am uh, the first therapist in uh, our bloodline. I became a therapist because I looked at the world and saw sadness. I saw a lot of suffering and pain, and a lot of it was, in my opinion, unnecessary. And so I wanted to, to do something. It was taught for me from very early age to join in in my community, to be a part of it, to care about my neighbor, and to do your best to make a difference, I suppose. And for me, what I learned early on was I'm really good at handling people's emotions. What I, what I mean by that is I'm capable of listening to someone, tell me their story, and give feedback, give insight, and also just hold space for them and allow them to feel, to be acknowledged and validated as a human. And eventually, this led me to my career, my passion, my love for mental health to provide and give therapy to do my best to make a difference. So a bit about my private practice, I I have a private practice of my own called Morning Coffee Counseling, where I practice out of Greenwood Village in Colorado, where I've been born and raised. And as far as my clinical experience, I've been kind of all over the place. Um, I spent a year doing addiction work. In the past, I've worked with kids and teens who are at risk in treatment facilities. I've done a little bit of trauma. I specialize in narcissism, anxiety, depression, emotional intelligence. And what I've learned through my clinical experience is I don't really have a a niche or niche. And I think that's because I find everything about mental health interesting. Um, A lot of us in the field of mental health will ask each other as therapists, as professionals, you know, who's your ideal client? And for me, I've always struggled with this identity because I don't really think I have one. I'm not sure. Maybe I just haven't discovered it. Maybe along the lines of talking to people through this podcast, maybe I'll figure out I do have an ideal client. For me, it's it's more about a client who wants to do the work, who's willing and capable and isn't scared to do hard work and to dig into their emotions. So for me, My ideal client right now is just anyone who wants help and is willing to put forth effort to get it. So that's why I don't really have a niche. I find all of it interesting from reunification therapy to emotional support animals to trauma and depression and narcissistic recovery from abusive relationships. All of it interests me, which brings me to the podcast as far as why am I starting a podcast? For me, it's I wanted to further engage in my passion and also be able to provide resources for free to the general public. I've done blogs on my own on my personal website, my professional website, I should say. I've done presentations for people within the community, and none of those have really hit home for me. What I've always thought to myself as far as generating exposure for me to help the general public, if I could just give therapy or talk about therapy or mental health, I would do it even if no one listened, if no one cared, or if even anyone even acknowledged I was doing it. And that's what brought me to starting a podcast. My my goal with this podcast is to provide information, education. I intend to have guests here to talk about their specialties, things that they're passionate about, 
because I'm not just the, I'm not the only person who does this. And there's so many different perspectives and so many experts and people who know things that I don't, that I just want to give them an opportunity to have a voice to generate interest in the things that they specialize in. And so by talking to other people who do things that I don't or know things that I don't, not only can I learn more about the fields of mental health, but I can also help others who are struggling, such as the common person who doesn't know that they could use these services or someone who knows need mental health work, but just don't know what type of specialty fits their needs. And that's why I want to have this podcast is to help the average person and I think I'm the right person for the job to have a podcast because honestly, I like talking about mental health, even if no one cares, because it's just something I'm so passionate about. And I could do this for hours and hours and hours and never get bored. And why not turn my thoughts and conversations I've had with the professionals into a recording for you, the listener, who is just an average person trying to live their best life. And sometimes you struggle along the way. And if something about my podcast helps you find the right therapist or realize you need therapy or just we're able to give you tips, techniques and skills to develop in order for you to improve on your own mental health in case you don't have resources, then why not? Why not start a podcast and give a shit about what's happening on this planet and do my best to improve? So the things I intend to cover in this podcast is many because I don't have a niche and I find everything interesting. I want to cover a lot of topics and I tend to have this podcast for as long as I can to cover as many topics as possible. And I, I fully intend to go over the same topic with multiple guests and multiple perspectives because I do think each perspective is special and unique in its own. So not every episode is going to interest you and that's okay because I'm trying to just provide more information regarding mental health out there. So I might cover topics you don't care about. I might cover things that you're obsessed about and wish you could hear more from me or the guest. And I fully intend to do my best to cover as many topics as, as possible from simple things like depression, and anxiety, which a lot of us know about to more complicated topics like how the pandemic has impacted the developing brain of our kids. For those of you who are parents and are noticing this and don't know what to do, that's a topic I intend to cover at some point to men's issues and really anything else that I find interesting or find useful. Because at the end of the day, I want this podcast to be a resource for you to find help, to feel acknowledged, to feel validated, or to just develop something within yourself that's going to help out. So one of my favorite topics to talk about is emotions. Obviously, I have a bias towards wanting to have these conversations and to think about them and learn more about them. Been a huge component of my work is emotions. It's it's a lot of what I discuss in sessions with my clients is their own emotions and sometimes my own as well if if the situation calls for it. And my favorite thing to do with all of my clients is to further develop their emotional intelligence by way of explaining emotions, why we have them, how they function, the the, the purpose of them. And that's why I wanted to start off with in today's episode is the function of emotions. And the ones I intend to cover are anger, fear, sadness, and joy. So what I often tell my clients is every emotion has a purpose, a a function, and each one is designed in its own way to help you live, to help you survive. So your emotions, as troublesome as they might be, are there to keep you breathing, to help you find solutions. And one of the 
emotions that I feel people struggle with the most is their own anger. Second, I think fear and then sadness and joy a bit more explainable, but let's start with anger. Why do we have anger? Why is this a thing in our lives as humans? And my explanation for this is anger exists to solve a problem of a wrongdoing. Common examples of wrongdoings are cheating, lying, and stealing. When these things happen to you, you're likely to become angry. And then anger fuels your body. It gives you energy to solve a problem, to remove the wrongdoing, either by removing yourself from the situation or removing the wrongdoing itself. If it's a person, uh, a thing that's in the way, your kids, Legos on the floor, whatever it is, anger is there to solve that problem. Something is wrong in your environment and you're motivated through anger to solve it. So if anger occurs when there's a wrongdoing, how do we harness that in order to do something better with it? Oftentimes we lose control of our anger and we say and do things and behave that's outside of character that cause damaging effects on those around us, particularly us. Sometimes I've seen clients turn their anger in towards themselves and essentially verbally, mentally, and sometimes even physically punish themselves. Better they punish themselves than take it out on someone else. And so I struggled with this emotion throughout my youth and even into my early adulthood. I was never taught to have a better relationship with my anger, but through me getting my own therapy, what I learned was that my anger is trying to help me solve a problem. And when I acknowledge that, I realize if my anger is trying to help me, why is it so loud? Why does it make me feel so uncomfortable? And it's because I didn't know at the time how to embrace my anger. I didn't know how to function with it, what to do with all that energy. And I learned that by harnessing my anger and turning it into something positive, I can find solutions. And so for, for me, this translates into me marketing myself as a therapist through my private practice and my website and my blogs, I market myself because I'm angry at just so many problems within mental health. A lot of therapists aren't so great at this. A lot of people are get taken advantage of. And so I use my anger as a way to market myself. I use that energy to write a blog, to make presentations, to network, because I want to be a resource for people. I want to help others find a therapist, even if it's not me. And I'm angry because I think it's wrong how this country handles mental health, how there's limited resources, very little access to a lot of people. And it makes me angry. And so I figure if I can use my anger to market myself, then everyone would be better for it. Because all I'm trying to do is to give resources. So part of my anger also goes into this podcast because this is what motivates me is I don't think there's enough out there for people for free to help themselves or to find access to help to to be able to improve their quality of life. And so that anger fuels me. And I know what the wrongdoing is, is something I can't control, which is how our country handles mental health and at, at larger scales. Now that I've described my process for harnessing my anger and using it in my marketing, one of the most common questions I get from my clients is how do you do that? Because they've tried using the energy from their anger to do something positive and they end up saying the wrong thing, behaving in ways that isn't 
productive for them. And when they come into sessions with me and I describe the, the usefulness of using your emotions to do something good, the next step is how do I do that, James? How do you use all of this that makes me so upset to do something positive? And what I'm going to describe to you is how I've learned to do it, how it's been taught to me through counseling and education and training. And it applies to all of the emotions, not just anger. But the first step is to have acceptance that you're having a human moment and you're having a human reaction, which means you're having human emotions. And to have acceptance that it's okay to feel upset. It's okay to feel anger, to feel sadness or grief because they're human. It's what makes you real. It's what makes you alive. And when you, when you learn to have acceptance for your emotion, then you can address the real issue. Because what I often see with my clients is when they reject their own emotion, then it's not real. And if it's not real, you don't have to deal with it. And if you don't have to deal with it, you can ignore it. And when you ignore it, you never learn to harness any of your emotions for something positive. So the first step is to essentially tell yourself, it's okay that I'm not happy right now. It's okay that I feel bad, that I don't like this. It's okay because then I can keep moving. I can move forward in spite of the situation or in spite of this emotion, whatever it is that you're feeling. So with anger, what I learned to do with myself is to accept that anger is something that is inside of me, that it is not a monster trying to ruin my life. It just means that I'm human. That's all that anger is. It's just a human emotion that exists for my benefit if I'm willing to allow it in. And that's the other component to this is to give yourself permission to feel. Give yourself permission to be human because you are. And having anger is just more evidence that you're human. And when you deny yourself and say no, and when you reject your own emotion, you are in essence rejecting your own humanity. And so when we are vulnerable with other people in our lives and we feel rejected, the reason why it hurts so much is because you feel that your humanity is being rejected. So if you've built up a habit of rejecting your own humanity, then don't be shocked when you feel like crap all the time because you're constantly rejecting what makes you human, your emotions. We're one of the few animals on this planet that have such complex emotions. Other animals have emotions, just not like ours. Ours are really complex and in-depth and we can describe them. This is unique to us. It's part of the human condition is to have emotion. So it's completely okay. And you start harnessing all of this fuel that your emotion gives you, all of this energy that keeps you up late at night or makes you get up early by accepting that you are human, which means you will have human emotions. Now that we've discussed anger and how it shows up and briefly discussed how to harness an emotion, I wanted to move forward and talk about fear and anxiety and what the difference is. So fear and anxiety are the same base emotion. We call it anxiety when it starts to become intrusive, um, debilitating, when it's kind of almost every day uncontrollable. That's when we start using the clinical term uh, anxiety, anxious, generalized anxiety disorder is one of the diagnoses you can have regarding your anxiety. But the, the base level of motion of anxiety is fear. 
And fear is a very natural thing to feel. Even on a weekly basis, it's okay to feel a little bit of fear regularly. It's healthy. It's good for you. And if you remember, every emotion serves a function, a purpose to keep you alive, keep you moving forward. So fear in particular shows up when you are ill-equipped to avoid an unwanted consequence or situation. So for example, and this is how I describe it to my clients as well, imagine you're hiking in the woods by yourself, you're off trail, come across a bear. You're going to have fear, anxiety. The reason why you have fear and anxiety when coming across a bear in the wilderness by yourself is because your brain knows you're not equipped to win that fight. You're not equipped to outrun that bear. You're definitely not going to climb a tree faster. So the brain becomes fearful. And this is to motivate you to be alert, to pay attention, to find a solution to the the problem for your own survival. Now imagine you're around your young niece and nephew, you know, six years old. They're having a bad day and they decide they want to pick a fight with you. As an adult, you're not worried about it because you're equipped to handle this tiny creature. So you don't become fearful or anxious because your brain knows you can you can win this fight. You can handle this situation without harm to yourself. And so fear is nothing more than your brain telling you you're not equipped for this. And the way to equip yourself is actually not confidence. You equip yourself by building your competence, competencies. So oftentimes what I find my clients doing when they are fearful, anxious, more often than they care to feel, they're looking for reasons to be confident or just looking for confidence outside themselves. And I always joke and tell them, you're never going to walk down the street or you know find confidence on Amazon. That's not how this works. Confidence is something that's grown like a plant. You have to take care of it, grow it, tend to it, nurture it, and be patient. And so the best way to do this is to actually not really look for your confidence, but what I mentioned earlier is competence. And what, what I tell my clients, start building the three C's, which is your calm, confidence, and competence. And you always want to start with the competence. And I describe this as knowledge, skills, or tools you could use to help you feel more competent. So for me, when I was in graduate school, learning to be a therapist, I almost dropped out because I was so fearful, so anxious. I would suck at this. I'd be terrible. I would cause more problems than I would solve. I'd never make money or build a career being a therapist. I was very anxious and had a lot of self-doubt. And I figured since I was lying awake at night anyway, being anxious, that I would use this energy according to how my professors taught us to use our emotions and do something positive with it. So what I decided to do was acknowledge and have acceptance that I'm fearful and it's because I'm not equipped to give therapy. I wasn't that at the time. So it made sense that I was feeling anxious and couldn't sleep and wanted to run away and hide and stop trying to become a therapist because I had to acknowledge that, yeah, my brain is right. I'm not ready for this. And granted, I was still in school. So the whole part of it, part of school was to become more equipped. But I still felt like school wasn't doing enough for me at the time. Not that my school was bad. It was just, there's a lot to learn about therapy and it's hard to cover everything in just a few short years. So I decided to use all of this energy that was keeping me up late at night and read more books that weren't prescribed to me through my curriculum. And I took a course on solution-focused brief therapy that I paid for on my own outside of school. And in two months, 
I realized I was a lot more competent for these books I read and the extra courses I took. And I started feeling a lot more confident in myself. And when I started feeling more confident, I was more calm. And that allowed me to showcase my skills. I took more initiative in my classes to pretend to be a therapist in our, our mock situations. And I would usually be the first one to speak up or give an answer. And I started learning and growing even more because of that experience. And so I learned that fear for me is nothing more than a reminder that I need to go learn something, go do something. Such as me starting this podcast gives me a lot of anxiety because I've never had a podcast before. I've never guest hosted on a podcast before. I barely even listen to them on my own anyway. And so I spent a lot of time before this first episode learning about microphone equipment and sound and editing and recording. And I started listening to more podcasts to get an idea of what's working, what isn't working. And that helped me feel less anxious about doing this first episode. And through this journey, I've just simply reminded myself that anytime I feel anxious, I need to go learn something, go develop something, build a a skill or grab tools I don't currently have and learn to use them. And that's all that anxiety is. It's just a reminder that something's missing in your entire toolkit or knowledge base or skills you have ignored. That'll help you feel more relaxed and prepared. So anytime you feel anxious, find out what's missing from your skills or experiences or tools that'll help you feel more at ease and use that anxious energy to go develop yourself as a person to grow and learn. And realize that that's all you really need to do to feel less anxious. The next emotion I want to bring up is sadness or depression. And just like fear and anxiety, depression and sadness are the same base emotion. It's very natural and organic and as always, they serve a function. And the best way to harness any emotion, again, is to have acceptance for yourself, for your humanity, and for the emotion that you're feeling at the moment. So sadness exists to tell us that something's missing from our lives in general. It shows up when there's loss and grief or uh, change, change in ways we did not give consent to, such as a loss of a job or a family member or a pet or you know the economy or anything really. Sadness happens when we look into the future and see something that we wish we had or need and we don't see it in our lives, such as when we lose our parents or lose our, our favorite pet. We look into the future and see there's still a hole there. There's something missing. And so that's why we become sad, is to motivate us to go fill that hole, that void, the gap, the thing that's missing from life. And that's why we become sad. It's to motivate us to fill that hole. And so when we look into the future and we don't see it, we look further out into the future. And if we still don't see it, we become even more sad. And the intensity of sadness eventually turns into depression. So when someone is depressed, it's because they've spent enough time looking to the future and seeing no change in what's missing that they become overridden with sadness and it kind of is a consuming emotion. It robs you of sleep or you sleep too much. It drains your energy because there's nothing you can do with it because nothing's going to change. So this often happens when we are grieving loss of something that cannot be replaced or returned when that loss is permanent such as uh, death. That is why these things happen. And so when someone is depressed for a long period of time, it is because they can't find a way to use the energy from their sadness to fill that hole. 
I see this often with parents who have had to bury a child. They, they often become depressed and stay that way for many years. And it's because there's no replacing that. There's no fixing that. There's no returning things to the way they were. And so they, they stay that way for a long time. And if you think about it in that case, it's very normal. It's natural. It is a, it is a shit experience. I'm not denying any of that, that grieving or feeling depressed for any reason is fun and awesome because it's not. But the whole point of our emotions being so uncomfortable is to motivate and fuel our body to make changes, to find solutions. And so when someone is depressed, the best thing they can do is to find ways to have joy, to fill that void, to put in what's missing. And it's never easy. It's always hard. I personally struggled with this when I was in high school. Um, my parents would often not get along and I would find myself in the middle of them, of their, their bickering and their conflict. And it made me sad because I felt like at times I didn't have parents who were focused on me during my adolescence because they're, they were focused on each other and their personal problems and which, whose side I'm going to pick, which is never a, a pleasant position for a child to be in. And so I was I was grieving essentially the temporary loss of my parents because instead of them focusing on me, they were focused on each other and I essentially had to just do things on my own, which was sad. And it it, it is sad looking back on it and thinking on it. And so I, I decided to fill that void essentially as a kid by reaching out to my friends' parents. I spent more time at my friends' houses trying to absorb their parents as my parents. And it didn't fully work because that's not that's not how things are in life. But it gave me something to move forward with. And I did learn from my friend's parents. They did do parental type things for me and teach me things. And eventually, when my parents decided to get along more, my sadness was lifted because I had my, my parents back. And they were focused on me, sort of focused on their own problems and how I interact with them. And so what I learned in those times is when you're sad, instead of just sitting there doing nothing, which is easy to do because depression is a consuming emotion, I learned early to take action, to do my best to fill that void and also have acceptance that it might not be filled. And it's okay if I'm just generally sad about that whole situation. Even now today, thinking back on moments of my upbringing, particularly my teenage years, I'm still sad about some of the things I didn't get to experience or things I lost at the time. And I have acceptance for it. And I use that nowadays to help my clients. When I work with people who are younger and they're dealing with something similar, I can have empathy for that person. I'm always looking to use my emotions and my experience to benefit the people I, I interact with and benefit the people I give therapy to. So even though some of the things I'm sad about, I'll always be sad about, I've learned to be okay with it because as long as I can have acceptance, I can still move forward and do something positive with it. So the next emotion I want to touch on is joy, happiness, passion, love. All of those come from the same base emotion of joy or happiness. And what a lot of people don't acknowledge is you can actually have too much of it. There are studies out there. There are clinical trials of, of what happens when someone has too much joy. For example, joy is what gets us addicted to things. So when you think of you know street drugs, there's too much joy coming from those substances and it causes addiction. Part of the reason is because of this brain chemical called dopamine. And most of us have heard of the word dopamine, but it's essentially a brain chemical that fires off anytime you feel good. 
Now, your brain is designed to only have so much at any point in time to avoid addiction. But when there's too much joy, it's hard to get away from things. So for example, if you're in a very loving relationship and there's a breakup, people who fall in love are essentially addicted to being in love with another person. That's why breakups can be so miserable. That's why people go back to previous relationships is they're looking to get that joy, that love, that passion back, the dopamine, the thing that feels so good, you can't get enough of it. And it's the same reason why we have really terrible diets in this country, in America. It's because a lot of our food is filled with sugar, salt, and fat, which makes us feel good. So then we just, it just promotes poor diets in general. And so what you want to do when you're experiencing joy is not not avoid it, which is not what I'm getting at, but recognize that you're going to crave more of it and it's okay. You have to have discipline and understand when it is or is not healthy. For example, if you're in love, it's okay. It's normal. It's it's a process. It's Everyone goes through this at some point in their lives in which they feel like they're craving that person. I'm like this with my wife when she's not around. I wish she was. And I think about her and crave being around her because when I'm around her, my life is better. I also have to recognize I still need to be able to function without her. Not because I think anything will happen, but because at some point she won't be around. She'll be at work or, you know, on a trip with her mom or just I'll have to be on my own. I need to be able to function. So feeling good, feeling too good creates codependence. So we see people in these codependent relationships with drugs or another person or something is because they feel so bad without it, they can no longer function as independent individuals. And so you can feel too good. But the point of feeling good, the point of this function is to repeat behavior that's good for you. And that's that's the point of feeling happiness. So hugging someone, being around people who love you, being around your dog, all those things are good for you because it, it makes you more relaxed. Being happy is good for your heart. It's good for your health. It's good for your mental health. So joy has a function of trying to get you to repeat something that is good for you. So for those people who exercise and feel good from the exercise, that feel good sensation is going to motivate you to exercise again, which is good for you. Unfortunately, I'm one of those people who never feels good from exercise, which is why I rarely do it. For whatever reason, exercise doesn't cause that dopamine to kick off in my brain. But other things feel good, such as giving therapy. Whereas lots of people I know who have sat in a room with someone who's unconsolable in their grief doesn't feel good. So they avoid that situation or avoid that person until they're done grieving. I have the exact opposite effect. It feels good to be in those situations for me because I feel like I'm benefiting someone. I feel like I'm helping and having value and impact with my life. So it motivates me to continue being a therapist, to continue seeking out people who are in need of help because it makes me feel good and it, it's I like to feel good and who doesn't? So joy has a function of getting you to repeat healthy behavior that will help you have a healthier, fulfilling, valuable life. The absolute final thing I wanted to go over in this introductory episode to the podcast is the title. Why did I name this podcast, my podcast, Mental Health Without the Bullshit? Let me explain. There is a lot of bullshit in mental health. And I don't mean the bullshit that mental health treatment doesn't work. What I mean is these conversations tend to be very clinical. 
um, not very real, not a whole lot of vulnerability from the professional side of things. I've met with a lot of therapists in a short amount of time. And oftentimes when talking with other therapists, they kept up a clinical guard. I didn't really get to know that person for who they really are because they were so focused on being a professional, being clinical. And I've, I've fallen into this trap as well, meeting people and giving therapy where I just focus on using big words and being a therapist. And what I've learned, I'm always going to be more of a person than a therapist. I want to be more of a person than a therapist, and I have more experience being a human being than I ever will have being a therapist. And therapy is about humanity, is about minimum two people going into a room and being vulnerable with one another, expressing their own humanity and having those human connections exist. And that that's therapeutic in and of itself. And that's what I want to bring to this podcast is no bullshit. I want to disclose information about myself. I want to be vulnerable. And the guests that I have on here who will talk about their experience, I want them also to be real, to be people. I want to have real conversations. And I feel like those those real conversations will be beneficial. And so I want to remove all of the bullshit from mental health and make discussions about mental health more approachable. Because when when professionals like myself stick to our clinical guard, we make things unapproachable to mental health. And that causes damage, in my opinion, to people who need help. Because it's scary to talk about mental health. It's scary to admit you need help. It's scary to go see a therapist for the first time and talk about your vulnerabilities. So I wanted to use this podcast as a way to make mental health more approachable. But in order to do that, I need to be real. And so the title is also a way for me to keep myself in check. And so remind myself every time I sit here and record or talk to someone and record the conversation that I need to be who I really am as a person, not just a therapist. I happen to become a therapist, but there's more to my identity than my clinical experience and my credentials and my degree. And same with anyone who I have in this podcast, they are real people. And I want to have real conversations about mental health because mental health is extremely real. And so that's it. This is episode one of Mental Health Without the Bullshit. Episode one is the introductory episode. For those of you who listened all the way through, thank you. Share this with people you like and love or share it with someone you think would benefit from this discussion of emotions. And I look forward to recording more and I look forward to growing an audience and helping people out. Enjoy. Thank you so much. I'll catch you next time.